0: Welcome, everybody. Before we get to the podcast itself, a reminder to sign up for the One Minute Wednesday newsletter. You'll be joining more than 175,000 people. Uh, you can sign up for it by just going to com forward slash 1MW. And every week you will get one minute or something close to it of the best thinking to be able to help you design a life that really matters, and to make that as effortless and easy as possible. So go to com forward slash 1MW. Today we have the privilege of speaking with Charles Duhick. Uh, he's an author that I've been interested in for years and years. Uh, he's a distinguished journalist. He's Someone who, I mean, he's a graduate of Yale University, of Harvard Business School. Uh, He has this great ability to blend intellectual rigor with great storytelling. Uh, He's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist. He's, for his part, in The Eye Economy, which was a series of pieces examining the global economy through the lens of Apple. He's probably best known for The Power of Habit, which spent just 50 weeks or more on the New York Times bestseller list, resonating with leaders worldwide. But as we sit down with Charles today, we're not just engaging with a journalist uh, or an author, but someone who has a rare ability to try to translate complex ideas into practical wisdom. He's written a new book called Super Communicators definitely has my attention. By the end of today's episode, you will understand what that is, why being one matters, and some very clear and simple things you can do immediately to be able to put that into action. So with that, let's get to it. Let's start with a succinct summary. What is super communicators about and why does it matter so much right now?
1: Well, super communicators are about why some people are so much better at connecting with other people and particularly through conversation, right? If I was to ask you, you know, if you were having a terrible day, who would you call that you know would make you feel better? Mm. Did someone come to mind? Yes. Yeah. And I think for all of us, and that person for you is a super communicator Mm. and you're probably a super communicator back to them. Mm. Uh, some people are consistently capable of doing this. Some people manage to connect with anyone really, really easily. They manage to, to make themselves heard more easily, and so they're more persuasive as a result. They're ma- they manage to kind of get through, break through, and develop a
0: relationship with, with really anyone, and those people are super communicators. And, and just state the obvious for a second. Why does that matter? Why is that helpful for someone who's trying to get ahead?
1: So communication is human superpower, right? The reason why Homo sapiens has succeeded so well is because we have the ability to communicate with you in ways that other species, with each other, in ways that other species can't. It allows us to build families and clans and societies and cities. Communication is the key to how we become successful. And in fact, study after study shows that even if you have great technical skills, even if you're a great basketball player, if you can't communicate with the other people on your team, you're never going to win the championship. If You might be a great salesperson or a great computer programmer, but if you can't communicate with the others inside your company, you're never going to rise to the level you ought to be at. Communication is essential for everything. What's your sense of what's
0: happened to social skills over the last 10 years?
1: Well, I, I, I don't know that social skills have declined over the last 10 years. I think one of the things that's happened is that we're living through a period where there's much more polarization, right? There's many more people who who feel divided from each other on a number of issues. And part of that is because we stopped teaching communication as a deliberate skill. The, the truth of the matter is anyone can be a super communicator. It's literally just a series of skills that anyone can learn the same way we can all learn to read. But what's important is that we have to be aware of those skills we have to want to learn those skills and and schools did this for a long time until the the 60s and 70s and 80s it was very common to receive interpersonal communication training at school but with really? the advent of computers yeah yeah i mean think about think about for instance you know this is a long time ago but the the finishing schools that young women used to go to mm. those basically were schools to teach you how to be a conversationalist Right, mm, yeah. how to how to have a whippy repartee at a at a dinner party, But you wouldn't get that in a normal traditional public high school. Well, you actually would though. You would get a lot of education about how to how to work with each other on an interpersonal level. Now they might not call it a finishing school, right? They might call it a um, home ec or home economics, or they might call it you know interpersonal communication class, which used to be on the curriculum at many many schools. Hmm. It, with the advent of computers, we tended to move away from that because it felt like there were other skills we need to pr- to prioritize and it felt like computers demanded less communication ability but what we're finding now is the cost of that communication is our superpower if you are a super communicator you can do things that other people can't do like what well for instance you can get invited into conversations you can make people feel better just by just by joining that conversation you have much much more influence people trust you more they tend to think that what you're saying represents the consensus view because oftentimes it does. These are the kinds of things you can, you can encourage people. You can win people over to your side.
0: This is what life is. I'm surprised that you said that social skills, from your point of view, haven't decreased over that 10 years. Help me understand that. If we're not training it anymore, if we're not focused on it anymore, if the schools aren't having it, if we don't have finishing school, if we've overemphasized technology, mastery and competence. How is it possible that social skills haven't gone down?
1: Well, I I would say that we're maybe not teaching the right skills, but you certainly talk to many more people today than if you had been alive 50 years ago, right? Uh, I mean, you email people and you text people, you have a podcast, people can listen to you. We can have this conversation even though we're many miles apart. So our ability to be social has not contracted. However, The value of those conversations, the value of those dialogues, our ability to hear each other and understand each other, that has gone down. And that's because there has been a decline in a specific set of skills, communication skills. Hmm. And now we understand how to teach them much, much better. We understand Hmm. how super communicators
0: do what they do, and we're able to share that and instruct other people. Let me just clarify, because that seemed somehow contradictory, but I want to make sure I understand you're saying that the appetite for sociality hasn't gone down, but that the communication skills you think have gone down. Is that a fair description of what you I think said?
1: that's fair. And and I don't think that's true for everyone, right? There's lots of people who, who still communicate well. But yes, one of the re- things that we see with polarization is that we see a cause of it is people not understanding how to talk with people who are different from them. They tend to mm-hmm. seek out people who are like-minded. They tend to enter echo chambers they don't know how to cross that chasm and have a conversation with someone who disagrees with them in a way that they both enjoy the conversation. Mm. And that's not great.
0: Now, in super communicators, you identify one of the key findings over the last few years about why it is that people miss each other when they're trying to communicate. Uh, This idea of three distinct types of conversations. Can you describe what those three are and why it matters if you misunderstand which kind of conversation you're in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the best ways is just to use myself as an example. You know, I would before I wrote this book, I would come home from work after a long day and I would tell my wife all about my day and complain about my boss and my coworkers and and she would respond very reasonably with good advice, right? Like take your boss out to lunch, get to know each other a little bit more. And instead of being able to listen to her, I would get more upset. And I would say, you know, why aren't you supporting me? You should be, you should be taking my side in this. And then she would get mm-hmm. upset because I was, I was passing up her good advice. And so when I went to researchers, I asked them, what's going on here? And they said, well, we tend to think of a discussion as being about one thing, right? We're talking about my day or we're talking about, you know, Jimmy's grades. But actually every discussion is made up of multiple different kinds of conversation. And almost all of those conversations fall into one of three buckets. There are usually um, practical conversations where we're trying to solve a problem or we're trying Mm -hmm. to make a plan. There are emotional conversations where I might tell you how I'm feeling and I don't want you to solve my feelings. I don't want you to solve the problem for me. I want you to listen and to empathize. And then there are social conversations where we talk about how we relate to each other and we relate to others within society. And they said, the most important thing here is, all three forms of conversation are valid, and all three usually happen in a discussion. But if you're not having the same kind of conversation at the same time, you can't hear each other. You can't connect.
0: Yeah. If somebody wants you to give you them sympathy, but you're giving them solutions, you're completely missing each other. Even And that's you-
1: exactly what happened. Right. I, I was having an emotional conversation, and my wife was having a practical conversation. And so as a result, we, we literally failed to hear each other.
0: So emotional, practical, and social, those are the three types that have been identified. Right. And so then the key, of course, follows that what you have to get good at is knowing which conversation you're in so that you can match the conversation that you are about. Tell us more about the matching principle.
1: Well, that's exactly what the matching principle is, is that in order to connect with someone, you really need to understand what kind of conversation is happening, and you need to to match the other person and invite them to match you. It's not a one-way street. And once we're attuned to look for it, it's not hard to detect what kind of conversation you're in. In fact, there's a a technique that makes it pretty easy, which is to simply ask questions, and in particular, ask a special type of question, which is known as a deep question. And a deep question is something that just asks me to talk about my values or my beliefs or my experiences. And and oftentimes deep questions don't appear deep, right? So if if I meet someone and I and they say I say what do you do for a living and they say oh I'm a lawyer and I say oh oh did you always want to be a lawyer? Like do you love practicing the law? What what made you decide to go to law school? Those three questions, they're easy enough to ask. They don't seem overly intrusive, but they're inviting that person to talk about the values that brought them to their career, what experiences they have in their in their background that led them to law school as opposed to something else, the values and the beliefs that they work with every day. They're telling me so much about who they are. And, and just to give you an example, mm-hmm. if I ask that question and someone says, oh, you know, I wanted to become a lawyer because I really wanted to have a steady paycheck for my family, I know they're in a practical mindset. They're talking about practical stuff. If on the other hand, they say, you know, I became a lawyer because I saw my dad get arrested and I wanted to fight for the under, for the, for the underdog. Now I know that actually this is a more emotional conversation and I need to match them there.
0: So it makes sense to me, practical versus emotional. The social is a little more ambiguous for me. How do you know you're in a social conversation? What is that exactly? So a social conversation,
1: and it's, it's interesting because most of our conversations are actually social conversations. Mm-hmm. A social conversation is when we're talking about how we relate to other people and how we relate to society. So if we're having a conversation and you're obviously... British. Where, where did you grow up? What city yeah. did you grow
0: up in? <laughs> Born in London, yes. You're okay, quite, so you're
1: from London and I grew up in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Right? So the fact that like we came from different places and have had these different experiences that we've been socially shaped by different slightly different societies, that has a bearing on how we communicate with each other and it's actually interesting. Now that becomes even more important if for instance we're talking about okay, so how do we work with Fred at work because Fred gets really really upset whenever anything changes. Let's figure out what we need to do. How do we recognize who Fred is and what he needs? If you're having a conversation about race, you know, if I'm black and you're white and we're discussing race, acknowledging that the color of our skin gives us different experiences, different identities, and that shapes how we see issues and how we
0: discuss them. That's an
1: important thing to acknowledge because it helps us understand
0: each other. This episode is sponsored by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash greg.
2: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
0: when you talk about the social conversation you're really just describing what kind of a relationship do we have
1: yeah i mean between you and i but also what kind of relationship do we have with the rest of the world right the social conversation is about how we relate to each other and you know when you gossip when you when you share office gossip when you talk about what you think is going to whether these people are dating or they're not dating or would they be right for each other, those are all social conversations. And what we're really doing is we're trying to figure out how does this person relate to the world? What do I need to know about them that helps me understand what they bring to different situations?
0: You, you use a simple, almost mnemonic device for separating these three types of conversations, you call it helping, hugging, or hearing. Can you unpack that for us a little bit?
1: Yeah, so this is something that that schools often teach teachers to do, which is that if a student comes up and they're upset, or even if they just wanna have like a a real conversation, Mm -hmm. oftentimes it's good to start by saying, do you wanna be helped, do you wanna be heard, or do you wanna be hugged? Mm -hmm. And those are the three types of conversations, the practical, the emotional, and the social. And, And think about it, you know, Now, when I talk to my wife, oftentimes, if I'm complaining to her, she'll take a moment and she'll say, look, do you want me to solve this problem with you? Or do you want me just to listen to what you're saying? Right. Mm -hmm. She's asking, she's asking me, do you want to be, do you want to be helped or do you want to be heard? Mm -hmm. And then sometimes I say, no, actually I want to be hugged. Like I Mm -hmm. want you to, I want you to tell me that I'm right and make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Just understanding what people want out of a conversation is incredibly powerful.
0: I think that simple question that the addition of that language, do you want to be helped hugged or heard right now, what's the priority? What's the first thing? I think it's a very simple way to be able to quickly and let's say in not really too conceptual a way, get to the heart of which conversation we ought to be in right yeah. now. I think that's a great addition and help for us. Is there Was there any research that's, that you have based these findings primarily in is there like a, a single piece of research that you go that one really unlocked this whole oh, subject no
1: no in reporting to this i spoke to over 300 researchers i i read over 4000 studies no i i would say what's happening right now and this is this is typical of when you have an explosion in kind of an understanding is that there isn't one study that tells us everything we we need to know in <laughs> yeah, fact fair enough. there's there's dozens or hundreds of studies and it's It's putting them all together, which is what I tried to do in Super Communicators. That's why I wrote the book that tells us the most important insights.
0: Nevertheless, I'll still push one more time on this. Were there a few that when you look back, you say, okay, these were the ones that if somebody wanted to go beyond the book, here are the points of research that I think are a good place to begin, a gateway to. Reading the original research that I was reading and writing this,
1: sure. And there's extensive endnotes in the book that that can sort of lead them to those papers. I mean, there's a there's a series of studies that was done by a guy named Bo Sivers at Dartmouth University with his advisor Talia Wheatley that looked at taking groups of people who were strangers and putting them together and asking them to answer questions together, and they found that some of the groups. Were able to answer the questions much more deeply and much more intimately, and it was because they had a super communicator in their group. Mm-hmm. And they looked at what those super communicators were doing, and they saw something interesting. They found that the super communicators asked about ten to twenty times as many questions as everyone else. Unbelievable. But but we the other people hardly registered them as questions because they were things like, "Huh, what would you think about that?" Or, or "Oh yeah, would you say next?" Or "Or you know, why does that seem important to you?" These little questions that served to invite others into the conversation they asked deep questions about these values and these beliefs and these experiences they tended to laugh more and and to when somebody got serious they would match their seriousness when you when people when they when the researchers asked the participants afterwards who was the super communicator in your group oftentimes the participants themselves they would know, but they wouldn't be able to tell you how they knew. They wouldn't be able to say, this is how I knew this guy was, mm. or this gal is such a great communicator. Mm-hmm. But that's because what they were doing was so graceful that it made everyone else felt like they had a voice in that room.
0: Well, first of all, they were micro-questions. And secondly, the very nature of the questions got people thinking about themselves and opening about, up about themselves. So let's say a super-communicator does not bring attention to their communication prowess, because the whole art of it is opening up other people and then syncing with them in a way that feels something like effortless.
1: Yeah, I think that's right. I think that's I think that's one of the skills that super communicators develop. There's another study that I love, which is called the Fast Friends Protocol, or the Fast mm. Friends Procedure, where these two researchers, the, the errands, they were, they were a married couple— They would bring strangers into a room two by two, and they would give them a list of 36 questions to ask each other. And what they found is they found that if they asked a certain kind of question, those deep questions that we were talking about, questions that ask me about my values or my beliefs or my experiences, and if one person was vulnerable and then the other person reciprocated that vulnerability, then those people would feel close to each other, even if they had nothing in common. So I think that's an important study because one of the things it tells us is that when we're having a conversation with someone and they say something vulnerable that it'd be easy to gloss over, right? They say, you say, what did you do this weekend? And they say, you know, my son graduated and it was wonderful. Or, or they say, you know, it was, uh, it, I had some stuff going on. It was, it was not a great weekend. It's very easy to gloss over that and be like, Oh, that's good to hear. Like, you know, I'm sorry. Like, let's talk about next year's budget. But if you just take a beat and you say, Oh, like, Clearly, you want to have an emotional conversation. I, I I want to match you. You don't necessarily say that part aloud, but you say, mm-hmm. you know, tell me about your son. Like, what was the graduation like? Like, like, what were you thinking as you saw him cross that stage? Or, or, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a tough weekend. I I know how that is. I've I've been there myself. If you ever want to talk about it, like, I'd be happy to do so. Those things take about thirty seconds to say, but when we match someone, when they give us a hint of emotionality, emotionality or vulnerability, and we reciprocate it, we can't help but feel closer to each other.
0: You've just covered two pieces of research. Is there a third? Is there a, another that just sparks your mind, another piece of research that was particularly interesting to you? I mean, there's a ton of it. Um, there's a guy named Nicholas Epley who's
1: a, a professor at the University of Chicago, and one of the things he's done is tried to figure out how quickly people can get deep. And so he has mm-hmm. um, he has like room full of rooms full of hedge funders ask each other questions like, "When's the last time you cried in front of another person?" And he's found that people love these conversations. Right? They mm. beforehand they think they're going to hate it. But then they sit down, and they have these amazing conversations with someone where they really open up, and that person opens up in return, and you feel close to each other. And and it just shows, and Nick's done this in dozens of different settings, having a real conversation feels wonderful. In fact, our brains have evolved to feel wonderful when we have a real conversation.
0: Yeah, this is in the chapter where you're talking about listening as a cure as a, as a as a healer let me just put the question to you that you just posed from Epley. when was the last time that you cried with someone
1: oh that's a good question um so i uh, you know like uh, like a week and a half ago i went to this um to this conference where we had these these conversations and people just told these amazing stories about things that had happened that had changed their lives and they were so touching everyone in that room was crying like hmm. someone told a story about you know being a pudgy kid and the popular kid came and and took him running every day hmm. and how that that changed his life. Like it, hmm. it gave him so much more confidence and gave him so much sense of agency and and just how powerful this was. And just to think that like there are these things that we do that we don't understand how much they affect others. It was I, I got I got all I got teary. It was really it was really powerful. What story did you tell? Uh, I told a story about, um, about working at the New York Times and and how challenging I found that to be. And again, others had shared with me and I shared with them. And And that's kind of what's important, right? Is, is that, as I mentioned, communication is humans' superpower. The reason our species has succeeded is because we can communicate in a way that's different from every other species. We can share ideas and emotions. We can pass on knowledge. And when we share those things, it's important that we know that the other person has heard us and has received that information and that knowledge. And our brains have evolved to love that feeling. We love to feel the feeling of connection. Mm -hmm. You know, just think about how you feel after a great conversation. You feel fantastic. And that's actually a product of evolution.
0: Yeah. Or the the opposite of that, which is if you feel disconnected from somebody, if you feel deeply misunderstood uh, in an interaction, how utterly awful that is. What a, it can be really frustrating and really painful. Yeah, a primal, an almost primal fear uh, seems to be there. Well, in a situation where you want to be able to connect, but for a whole series of reasons, someone doesn't want to share, they don't feel like this is the time or place to do it. How can you still connect with somebody like that? Because it seems like some of the toughest communication challenges we have uh, are with people who, for, let's say, very good reasons, don't want to be vulnerable or don't want to open up or don't want to share. How can you be a super communicator in that situation? Well, it, and this happens a lot in conflict, right? When we're
1: having a conversation with someone that we're fighting with or when we're talking about a topic where we disagree with each other. It's, it's very typical. And, and the number one thing is to prove to each other that we're listening. And there's actually a technique for this known as looping for understanding. And what looping for understanding says is to do three things. First, to ask a question. Second, to repeat back in your own words what you just heard the person say. And thirdly, to ask if you got it right. And the reason why this is powerful is because it shows the other person you genuinely are listening to them. You genuinely want to understand what they're saying to you. So for instance, if, if we're talking about gun rights, there's a chapter in the book about bringing together a group of gun activists who are fighting to control guns and others who believe that everyone should own guns. And by looping for understanding, they didn't convince each other to change their minds, but they understood each other. Again, this gets back to the matching principle that when I feel like you are listening to me and you feel like I'm listening to you and we're trying to match each other, that's what allows vulnerability to, to come out. Now, vulnerability doesn't mean you can demand to ask me something and I have to answer it. Mm -hmm. Vulnerability means instead creating
0: space for people to share what they want to share with each other. What, what, What are the best questions that you came across in your research? Like the golden questions to be able to, you know, unlock another person. So again, deep questions.
1: There, there are no golden questions, right? There's no one question that kind of like does everything. Just as there's no one study that it sort of explains everything. But in general, questions that ask people about their values and their beliefs and their experiences that draw them out, those are questions that tell me how to how to see this other person, how they see themselves, what's important to them. And, and that can be a question about anything. I can ask you... Yeah, you know, let me let me ask you, where where are you right now? I'm at home with my family. Okay, okay, and 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 do you have kids? Four children. Four children. That's a lot of children. Are you glad you had kids?
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm glad I have kids.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, why? What what is it about kids that you find? I mean, because I have kids, and it's it's hard to have kids, right? For I only have two, but like you obviously really enjoy it. What do you What do you love about being a father?
0: You know, the idea of what do I like about it doesn't quite capture it you know it's not as, as everybody knows who has children it's, it's not like you have children in the same way as you go i oh, let's go on a vacation because it's fun to go on a vacation right it's got it's got nothing to do with liking or having fun it's uh it's way deeper than that right it's it's like the point of it all the heartbeat of of uh, of meaning and purpose it's to develop these little people to become who they can become and to build relationships with safe attachment deeply connected emotionally emotionally responsive yeah uh, so that you can grow I- into a, a an intergenerational family
1: so think about how much you just told me right you told me you told me what's important to you that that f- connections with other people are important to you, forming relationships that are safe and are secure is something that you value enormously, that that guiding your children into the world is something that you probably feel a sense of accomplishment from. You also told me that deciding to have kids wasn't like a cavalier decision. It wasn't necessarily even an easy decision or something that, that you've enjoyed every day of. You've told me so much about who you are. And and the, ma- the golden question I asked, the magical question was just like, why did you decide to have kids? Like, do you like mm-hmm. being a dad? Like, that doesn't seem like a magical question. But any question can be a magical question if it's a question that asks the other person to talk about their values and their beliefs and their experiences.
0: Any question can be a magical question if it asks people to talk about their values and their experiences. Yeah, I mean, the question you asked was a why question. That seems to be a clue into something like a golden question. It's a why, it's something beyond the surface. I mean, I, something that I'm with you on here is that asking even a single follow up question, actually asking a single question that you're genuinely interested in, I think is above something like above average. Yeah. You know, like if, if you ask somebody, well, how are you? I mean, that's it. Nobody means the question. At least, to be frank, in the US, nobody means the question. So you're supposed to just say, fine, good, and how are you? Yes, good, fine, and move on. It's a little less like that in England where I grew up. But here, if I add to the question, if I say, well, how are you really? It's a completely different in- exchange that takes place. Yeah, You get beyond, people start to, oh, you really want to know. Oh, you, you're really interested in it. So it does seem to me that, that asking just even a, a couple of extra questions starts to change the, yeah. the nature of the or,
1: or if you ask someone, how are you? And they say, I'm great. And you say, what's the best thing that happened in the past week? Mm-hmm. That's an opportunity. That's an invitation for them to tell you about, about what they've been doing and why, mm-hmm. why it's important to them. Mm-hmm.
0: What is for you the hardest part of the skills and approach that you write in this book? What, what, what is the least comfortable part of it for you?
1: I think this is true for me and for many people which is understanding that the goal of a conversation the goal of communication is not to persuade the other person it's not to to win an argument it's not to it's not even to represent yourself well the goal of a conversation is to understand what the other person is trying to tell you and to share share in a way that they can understand you Right, If I have a conversation and we disagree about something and we both walk away still disagreeing about it, which is likely, right? I'm not going to change your mind. You're not going to change my mind on questions like abortion or politics with just one conversation. But if I understand where you're coming from, why you believe what you believe, and I believe that you understand me, then that conversation has been a success. And that's hard because it often means that when we're talking to someone who we're very different from or someone who we disagree with, our instinct is to try and persuade them, right? To to say like, look, if if you just see enough evidence, you'll agree with me. Or if you just listen to me, if you just listen to me, you'll, you'll hear what I'm saying. <laughs> but the goal of a conversation is not to be right. The goal of a conversation is to understand what the other person is saying.
0: Yeah, there's a huge difference between uh, trying to Trying to be right versus trying to get it right. Yeah, uh, it seems it seems to be a big a big shift in the in the subject matter. There's a something that I thought was particularly interesting. Uh, it's page 166 and 167. It's the section in which you're talking about social identities. How our social identities shape our worlds. There's a great graphic here. Uh, if I were to try and describe it for those that haven't got the book in front of them yet. Uh, there's a circle of me and then the sister employee, student, and volunteer. So it's a very simple uh, network, let's say. And then there's a second image, which is the same idea, but instead of it being just four tiny data points, there's something like 20 different data points. So the network is much more complex. Can you explain a little more about what's behind that graphic?
1: Yeah. And and so it's, it's not so much a network as it is identities that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it, one of the things that happens in a social conversation that makes it really hard is that oftentimes we tend to focus on just one identity. Right? You're you're the capitalist and I'm the the underclass. You're you're black and I'm white. You're a man and I'm a woman. And and what happens is that when we when we collapse everything down to these very binary identities, to very simple identities, it can be mu- it can be very hard to find a common ground to find a way to com- connect with each other. But the truth of the matter is, every single person contains dozens of identities. Right? I might be I might be a white man, but I'm also a father, and I'm a journalist, and I live in California, and I love to surf, and I like to cook, and like sometimes I cry at conferences. I have all these different identities that are important to me, mm-hmm. and if we can bring all those identities into the conversation, we will have a much richer discussion. Mm-hmm. We will be able to hear each other much better because instead of just listening to one identity, we're going to be seeing the entire person. And so what's really important is to remind people of their many identities in a conversation, particularly a social conversation. So when I'm talking to you about you know, police violence, I might say, look, I'm wondering as, as a lawyer, you might feel one way about, about police violence, but as the as the father, as a as a black man who's a father of sons, you might feel another way about police violence. Like, tell me, tell me how you think about that. Like, what, where where do you come out on on this question? And what I've done is I've just I've just acknowledged these two distinct identities and said, I see you. I see that you're not just one thing. <laughs> and that 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 introduces an element of complexity into the conversation that makes it more real and authentic
0: and meaningful. At the time of this recording, it's just past um, Martin Luther King uh, Day, and it seems like what you just described is something like part of that. Uh, you know, I have a vision speech uh, given in Washington D.C. at the Capitol uh, that we will see people not at by the color of their skins, but the content of their character. It, what, in a sense, I think you're saying is try to communicate in a way that acknowledges and even in deliberately taps into the complexity, the kaleidoscopic uh, version of a person instead of seeing them through a single lens. That's exactly right. Yeah.
1: And and Dr. King, you're exactly right. In, in his I, I Have a Dream speech, Dr. King talks explicitly about this, about the need to see each other not as just black and white, but to see each other as complicated, complex, full people. Because in that humanity, we can find a way to live with each other
0: and to prosper together and to love each other. So let me ask you a a question that's just popping into my mind right now. I'm not trying to make a political point in asking this question is it your sense that what would be called now sort of a the a, a wokeist agenda has made us see more complexity and kaleidoscopic view of people or do you think it has dumbed down the conversation unintentionally the pro- i i don't know what a wokeist agenda is to be honest with you like like if and i think this is part
1: of how communication can go awry right if we if we use the words um or phrases that that mean different things to us, then we think we're talking about the same thing, but we're not. And so is there a particular instance that you're thinking of? Well,
0: it's hard hard not to think about the rise of anti-Semitism since July 7th. It's hard not to think about that uh, right now. And these sort of bombastic statements that have been made, you know, and, and very publicly made, for example, coming out of uh, coming out of Harvard, where you know whatever the number of groups were that came out and made these group statements, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, but I, I think what you're talking about there is you're not talking about conversations, right? And and it's important it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we don't have conversations and we don't want to have conversations. If I feel strongly on a political issue, I might not want to have a conversation with someone about it. But when we do want to have conversations, when we think that it's important for us to to understand each other and perhaps try and come to a consensus or make a decision together as we do in a democracy, then entering that conversation with the goal of trying to understand what the other person is saying, rather than viewing it as something you've already decided is right or wrong or bombastic or not bombastic, if you really want to have a conversation, in the book and in the literature, this is called a learning conversation, where my goal is to learn how you see the world. That means that I come into it saying, I'm not, I'm not going to try and convince you that you know, one side or the other is right. I'm going to understand why this is so important to you. And I think what you're seeing on campus is a lot of people not having conversations, where one side
0: is shouting and the other
1: side is shouting
0: and sometimes, sometimes that's appropriate. What, why do you think that's happening in the way it's happening? Like on this particular issue, you asked me an example, I, pulling an example. Why do you think it's happening more now than it did, let's say, 10 years ago?
1: I don't know that it is happening now more than it did 10 years ago, right? I mean, 10, 10 years ago, we were leading up to, to, um, to, to you know, The end of the Obama years and the beginning of the Trump administration, I think it was happening a lot 10 years ago. I think 20 years ago it was happening, right? We've seen polarization be a trend for for decades. I think that the key is, can we inspire people to want to speak to each other? You know, that's ultimately what, what Reverend King was talking about, is he was talking about coming together and having a conversation where we can recognize each other's humanity. That does not mean we agree with each other. It does not mean that I agree with you about Israel and you agree with me about Gaza. It does not mean that I agree with you about race relations and you agree with me about police. But it means that we we define success not as agreement, but as understanding. And and I don't know, I mean, obviously there are people who are saying things on campuses that are bombastic. I don't know that that's, that's the mainstream. I think there are a lot of people who want to have conversations about this. I hear from people who want to have conversations about this. And and the cameras tend to train on the loudest voices and the most strident arguers. But if you go into those classrooms, my, my wife is a professor. If you go into those classrooms, what you find are a bunch of students who say, I'd never thought about Israel and Palestine before. Like, I don't understand what's going on. Will someone explain to me like, why this is in the news all the time now? Mm-hmm. What they want is they want to understand. And providing them with understanding and understanding how they see the world in return is really powerful.
0: Yeah, no, no kidding. Maybe a, a second attempt at this in a way. The, the, this, this graphic that I'm describing here, that isn't it an attempt at pushing us past group identity where we're saying, let's not judge people by a bold, single group first, instead recognize, my goodness, everybody has a multiplicity of many, many different things that give them their unique identity. Isn't that the very point you're making?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and that doesn't mean we ignore those identities or those groups, right? It's it's not fair if someone is a, a black man living in America. It's not fair to say to them, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to ignore that you're black. Because Being Black might be very important to their experiences. It might be very important to how they see themselves. But it's about saying, I'm not just going to see you as just a Black man. I'm going to see you as a Black man and a father and a coworker and a thought leader who I turn to when I need advice on something and a pastor in the church and someone who helps coach Little League. You have so many different identities that one of them cannot capture who you are and it's in the totality that we will find a way to communicate with each other. What well, what is your
0: highest aspiration for what this book could do? Like what, what give me your 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 greatest grandest hope. Well, what I'm hoping is that
1: is you know there's a basic insight here which is that anyone can learn to be a super communicator. Like no nobody's born a great communicator. Nobody it doesn't have anything to do with your personality type or whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. What matters is do you just learn a set of skills? The same way anyone can learn to read, anyone can learn to be a great communicator, to be a super communicator. And, and what I'm hoping is that people will read this book and they'll see an opportunity in their own lives to connect better with the people who are most important with to them, to have conversations with meaningful conversations, with their coworkers, with their families, with their partners, with their kids, with their friends, that allow them to see each other more clearly and to feel seen in return. Because nothing feels better, right, than than having a conversation with someone that you love or someone you admire and respect and feeling like you understood what they were trying to tell you and they heard you. They listened to you. The, The key to that is just a set of skills that anyone can learn.
0: Charles Duhigg, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for your new book, Super Communicators, but also for the tremendous contribution that you've made through other books, through your journalism and beyond. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. If you haven't already signed up for the new and completely free Less But Better course, this is your invitation to do it. You go to Greg and right there on the homepage in 10 seconds, you can sign up. It's a 30 day class. It's designed to take the ideas from essentialism and effortless and help you know where to start. Well, there it is. There is the wrap. What is one thing that stood out to you in today's conversation with Mr. Duhigg and what is one thing that you can do differently immediately today To be able to start putting this into action and who is somebody that you can share this conversation with so that the conversation continues now that this podcast episode has come to an end thank you really thank you for listening and i'll see you next time